Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. This is episode 3, and I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at the comics uh, that were released on Wednesday, August 15th, and just uh, taking a quick look at some of the books that were released, and my general impressions, uh, basically this is an audio version of the reviews that I usually write either for cxpulp.com or cgmagazine.ca. So let's just get right into it. Uh, first book up this week is Amazing Spider-Man number 691. Uh, now this is the conclusion of the uh, No Turning Back storyline that in Amazing Spider-Man by Dan Slott and uh, Giuseppe Camincoli. Um, what a great issue. Uh, this is really a great way to end the arc. Uh, this the entire arc, uh, for those who may not be familiar, and I should actually preface this, we're going to be spoiling the crap out of these books, so I do apologize in advance, but now you've been warned. If you don't want to hear about it, you wait, and you can see in the show notes which books we're talking about. Come on back uh, once you've read them, because we are going to be spoiling them, and I don't want to be held accountable for that. But uh, jumping into this issue, uh, first of all, it's a great conclusion to this storyline with the lizard. Um, this whole storyline has been Spider-Man facing off against the lizard, who... Uh, He's now back in Kurt Connors' physical form, but the mind is no longer Connors, it's just the lizard. So it's uh, Spider-Man having to make a, a momentous decision about how he's going to handle this this fight, and it has a certain implication for Connors as well. Uh, very strong, very dark storyline, but very maturely handled. Dance Lot is probably one of the best Spider-Man writers I've read in a long time. He really gets the character, gets the balance of the character, and plus he's good with the supporting cast when they show up as well. Uh, Carly Cooper's still here. I absolutely love Carly Cooper. I didn't think I would like her, and then when he, whenever he writes her, I'm like, wow, she's a really engaging character. That all being said, my favorite part of the issue has got to be the last page. The last page reveal is that uh, Roderick Kingsley, the original Hobgoblin, is not dead, and to that I just say, thank God. Um, I was really, really, really upset when, uh, right at the beginning of Big Time, it looked like, uh, Phil Urich had just decapitated the original Hobgoblin. Not only did I not like that suddenly the, uh, the once heroic Green Goblin was doing something really horrific, and I know he'd been kind of skewing bad in the Loner's miniseries, but this was, like, really over the edge, and I was like, holy crap. Doesn't take away the fact that he still decapitated Daniel Kingsley, the, uh, the twin brother of Roderick Kingsley, but at least the real Hobgoblin's alive and he's coming back. Uh, those who've looked at the solicits for, I believe, November that were just released this week on Tuesday will see that they've actually spoiled it, saying, you know, the original Hobgoblin's back uh, as part of a Goblin War, and I'm really glad I got to read this issue before I looked at the solicit because that really would have ruined it for me. Uh, I kind of glossed over the solicits, didn't really look that close in the fact that Roderick's back, so I'm glad he is back, glad I got to experience the surprise, really took me for a loop. Um, it just, you know, really well done. The artwork in this issue is fantastic as well. Uh, he's got a... Kevin Coley, at times, his work almost reminds me of Jim Calafiore, and that is a compliment. Uh, just the, There's a certain roughness, um, certain angles that I really like. That he's, He doesn't go soft in certain character features. Um, although I do wonder, at the end of the issue, we see Roderick Kingsley... Looks a lot like Deathstroke. I mean, it even looks like he's missing an eye. Maybe it's just because it's in shadow and he's got, like, you know, the silver goatee. And I'm like, really? Uh, I mean, we don't need we don't need Roderick Kingsley to look like 
Deathstroke, but I, I guess that's what they wanted to do. Maybe that's just it's his new persona because he's going by a new name and everything. Um, so I, I guess that kind of explains why he's uh, sporting this really crazy look as the Devil Spider. But uh, overall, the issue itself was pretty fantastic and uh, well worth the read. Uh, Dan Slott definitely makes you care about these characters, and uh, he. this is a nice way of doubling back on something that happened a long time ago in comic book terms, because it's been, what, like 30 issues or something with big time? So uh, it's a nice callback to something that happened early, and for me, as a long-time Hobgoblin fan, so pleased. Just unbelievably. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, overall rating, say uh, 4.5 out of 5. Um, Actually, don't, we're going to go with an out of 10 set, uh, rating system, so I'm actually going to say I've got a 9 out of 10. Uh, really, really solid book. You should definitely make sure you pick that up. Next issue is Avengers number 29. Uh, this book is frustrating because <laughs> it just it feels very inconsistent at times with the overall time frame of AVX. Uh, you got Bendis writing it, obviously, because uh, he's not done yet, and Walt Simonson doing the art. Uh, Simonson's art, it's kind of hard to objectively look at it 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 doesn't quite fit with the more modern take on some of the characters but it's got a classic tone to it as well i'm kind of mixed on it um because it's not horrible it's still good because it's walt simonson he's a master of the craft that being said it's kind of like how you know at once upon a time chris claremont was one of the best writers in comics and now we kind of look at some of the stuff and we're like uh it hasn't aged that well it's different for simonson because it are is his art is still pretty appealing and it's easy to get into but sometimes the angles are a little off uh sometimes it looks a little rough almost rushed but i'm not really sure if it is rushed or if it's just uh just his style and just it's a bit of a loose style looser than some of his more memorable work so i mean it's it's not his greatest stuff uh my main problem with the issue is that it feels like they really need to come up with a better way of of publishing these tie-ins so that they feel more important in the general scheme of things or at least they don't feel like they don't matter anymore because they take place in the past. This is an issue that takes place after AVX, I believe, right around AVX number 8, or just before the events of AVX number 8. AVX 10 dropped this week, so it's it's a month out of date, and I know that like there's a lot of planning that goes into these events, but it just feels like if you're going to have stories that take place at certain particular uh, points in the timeline maybe hammer it out so that the scheduling makes it feel like it still matters. Because at this point, we already know what happens to certain characters. It's kind of like, well, this is a fight. It's obvious we understand why the characters don't remember it happened, because Professor X does some mind-wiping, but it just doesn't feel... It feels kind of tacked on, like it doesn't need to be there, especially considering where the main series is kind of going with Xavier now, with him kind of threatening to put the smack down on Scott, and here he's just kind of like, I don't want to fight my own students, so... Uh, it's not a bad issue. It's actually not. It's 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 okay. It's just the the placing of it in the timeline uh, is is kind of irksome at times. So uh, I think I'm gonna give that a six out of ten this week or this month. Sorry. Uh, that actually brings us to Avengers versus X Men number ten. Big release. Uh, really, it's becoming more and more apparent that we're not gonna get to see the X Men really get to be that heroic. You have certain X-Men starting to defect. That's nice. It just felt like... 
this is this is what Scott Summers has come to. It's just I just feel like he's he's he, I've always loved Cyclops, and I just feel like he's not getting as much respect as he deserves. And now it just he the way he's being written is 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 pretty poor, and the way Emma acts here is absolutely horrible. Now I understand that they're trying to show that the Phoenix Force is corrupting, etc. But uh, it's just. Then do I, I feel like they need to do a better job of making that distinction uh, because we're just seeing a lot of these characters and it just feels like they're really painting the X-Men, X-related characters into a corner. I'm not really that appreciative of that. Uh, the artwork is by uh, Adam Kubert, who once again does an absolutely fantastic issue. That's one thing I can definitely say about this comic. It looks nice. Uh, does it read as well as it looks? No, no it doesn't. Um, not in my opinion, anyway. Uh, the writing this for this issue is handled by um, uh, Brubaker, who hasn't written an issue, and I believe since the beginning of the storyline, uh, he, do, he he does an okay job with what he's given. But I mean, at the end of the day, Cyclops is threatening a gun girl, and like it's kind of it's hard to look look heroic at all at that point because uh, and. And uh, and hope as well. I mean, I wanted to do something a little bit more, and I appreciate that they're trying to kind of build to this point where, like, you know, what's going to happen with hope, and and how is it going to kind of lead to a conclusion of some kind. But I just feel like we're kind of going in circles at this point, and we're not really getting to where we need to be going. Uh, and there's only two issues left, and I feel like there's still like a lot that needs to happen. Uh, it doesn't feel like we're that close to the end. It feels like we're still in the middle portion, uh, and a lot of that's because we feel like we're still kind of going in circles, and we haven't really turned a corner in a few issues. Uh, and considering it's not that long a series, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, I am excited, however, that it looks like we're going to be getting more about Xavier and Magneto, and I love those characters, and I'm really hoping that they get to kind of have a presence again, because... Xavier in particular really hasn't been doing much over the last few years except for hanging out on the beach with Legion, obviously. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for something big or something exciting. Um, generally speaking, though, this issue could have been a lot better. I gave it a 5 out of 10. It's not horrible. It's, it's just kind of there. It's just kind of keeping it going. But uh, these days, I'm not that surprised with uh, crossover ends being like this. It's such a long series, it's hard for there not to be mid-link chapters. And unfortunately, that's what this is. Um, it's, it's, it's not terrible because it still looks gorgeous and it gets, it kind of keeps the story going, but where's it going to, I guess is the point. Uh, next issue we're going to take a look at is Avengers Academy number 35. Uh, wow. I absolutely adore this book. Uh, the first few chapters of the AVX crossover, I felt were kind of not the greatest and they kind of detracted from the book and they, it, it, it felt like Christos Gage was at least having fun with the idea that he was kind of being pushed into a crossover but and so he was kind of doing it on his own terms and kind of at times making fun of it but and and he told some good stories uh that being said his best stuff is when he kind of gets to do his own thing and, and use his own subplots that he's developed been developing throughout this entire series uh this is a, a really uh emotional issue I the the they're really building to a really interesting point with these characters that, you know, we've, we've had this, uh, Jeffrey character for a while now trying to kind of push his own agenda. And now it's really exploded, uh, for this final exam storyline. Um, and it's really, I actually thought that this issue kind of ended on an odd point because you have this really emotional kind of, uh, part where 
you know, metal uh, has been cured, and then they, in order to have to kind of save the day, they have to take the antidote to the cure, which means that they'll never be able to cure themselves of their powers again, which is a really good way of kind of, uh, it looks like the book is ending as of the solicits, and I don't know what's going to happen with these characters afterwards, but it's a nice way of kind of coming full circle that he got these powers, and he was this curse, and this entire time he's wished, he was just wished that he could be human again, especially now that he's with Hazmat uh, as his girlfriend, and now he finally gets to be human, and he has to give it up to save the day, and it's one of those heroic sacrifice things that uh, Crystal Sage could does it a fantastic job of really making it a heart-wrenching decision of like this is the right thing to do and he knows that and he's a, he is a hero but it's so hard and at least he gets to kiss his girlfriend when like you know and enjoy uh, that sliver of time together as both being human i but then we he takes the serum and it doesn't seem to be changing right away and then we switch the um the focus then switches back to hazmat as she's kind of stopping off to do to go find her containment suit and that's where it leaves off so i felt like it was kind of an odd spot to leave because i'm like what's happening with metal and then boom we're going to leave the scene and then the issue's over but i gotta say christos gage really has me going and i can't wait to see what happens next uh artistically in this issue he has uh andrea devito joining him and wow i love andrea devito's stuff i have since the cross-gen days when he was working for them uh absolutely fantastic work on this book uh he's just his artwork is just a pleasure to look at and combined with the uh, gage's brilliant script uh he really knocks this one out of the park and so yeah this is a definite read um if i can't, i don't understand people who don't pick up avengers academy um my brother-in-law won't pick it up because he's like well when i picked up avengers initiative i really liked it but where are those characters now and i'm like yeah i know that sometimes happens it happened with new x-men as well to an extent but like these characters won't stay around unless people are fans, unless people will read the book. And this is a book where it had all new unknown characters as the main protagonist, and yet it has been really solid all the way through. So I really do recommend this highly. Uh, I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next book is Batwoman number 12. Uh, this is one of those books where, like, the storyline, I'm not really always sure what's going on, and, uh, but I don't care, because it looks so good. Uh, J.H. Williams III is one of the best illustrators I've seen, because he, he does, especially, he's in, he's kind of uh, in the same boat as Francis Manipal, who does, uh, Flash, because he's not just the illustrator, he's also the writer, so everything he kind of envisions in his head for the story, he's able to more clearly articulate that in the art, as opposed to... I'm a writer writing a script, giving it to an artist, and them trying to figure out what I meant in the script, whereas he's able to kind of go from his mind's eye and say, this is what I want on the page. And he really pushes the boundaries, actually, in a lot of ways, just like uh, Francis Manipal. They have very different types of art, but they're both kind of pushing the expression of the page and how the story actually flows quite well to, uh, in that way. Uh, here he intertwines a story about Wonder Woman and a story about Batwoman, and they don't really intersect until the very end, uh, but it's beautifully done. Um, the Wonder Woman story is much more straightforward, and it's a, kind of an, an interesting crisis of identity kind of thing, just her ruminating on who she is and what she is and what she can be and has to be. And then Batwoman's story is a little bit more confusing at times, but uh, that just seems to be what J.H. Williams III likes to put Batwoman through, partially because it gets to let him push himself uh, more uh, artistically speaking. Uh, the way he, some of the panels and the pages, like there's a spot where uh, she goes through a fun house and there's like she goes around in a circle and it, the actual pant the full page is just this circle and her walking through it 
and then walking up to the top and then exiting into the next page. It's really interesting, and it's really interesting way to follow the sense of the action uh, through this through the art um, in a very natural way. Some people like when they read comics, like well, which panels am I supposed to read first, or what comes by, what comes first here? Well, this is very clear because it's a nice circular pattern. You just in your eye easily follows along. Um, it's just brilliant artwork. Uh, story hasn't been as strong as it could be, but then I, I kind of get bowled over by the art, and I, it's hard to actually kind of separate the two, so as a result, you kind of end up judging the book a little bit more on the art than the story, per se, but it's such an interesting experience to read that it uh, it's, it's really worth it. Um, so I gave that one an 8 out of 10. Uh, our next book here is... Before Watchmen, Rorschach number one. Now, this is a book. Like uh, I'm, I'm not one of those militant. You know, oh my god, they should never do Watchmen prequels. I didn't know if I would care. Uh, I didn't know if there was necessarily a, a need for them. But I mean, these are characters that people like and people have responded to. So it makes sense to try and mine that if you can. And they have an excellent team on this one. Uh, this is issue number one. So it's Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermeo. Uh, Azarello is probably one of the best choices to do such a hard-boiled story about such a messed-up character. Uh, he does a fantastic job of writing Rorschach as he's kind of investigating something. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a violent book. To be honest, this is one of those books where, like, I'm not really sure how well it would do without the art, because Libermeo has such a strong visual style that... Uh, it's very, very cinematic, but it's kind of dirty as well, which works for Rorschach. It also works for the 1970s, which is the time period that this story takes place in. Uh, the characters look fantastic. Uh, the action is brutal, very visceral. Um, it just it was an absolute pleasure to read. Uh, the story was actually pretty strong, actually. I, I wasn't expecting a lot from the story. I know Azarello is the right kind of guy to write this, but you know, I didn't really know what to expect at all. And I was like, wow, this really feels... He did a good job of writing the character in a way that he still feels like Alan Moore's iteration of the character. It doesn't take away anything from the character or who the character is. Um, and it still has, like, you know, he's he's almost a little funnier than I would have expected but uh, in the way that he's written. But he's just as violent, as brutal but has a clear concept of what he's doing and what kind of justice he's meeting out. And the artwork is just incredible. Uh, I believe for that one, uh, I gave uh, 8 out of 10. It was really, really good. Uh, next book up is Captain Marvel number 2. Um, for those who read my um, like my actual written review of issue number 1, uh, it I was really flummoxed by issue number one. Uh, I like Kelly Sue DeConnick. I like Dexter Soy. I was not sold on the first issue at all, uh, partially because I didn't understand why it was called Captain Marvel. Um, there was no real in-story reason for her to have changed her costume uh, or where she even really got part of it from. I guess part of it's Stark tech because it has the weird uh, unfolding mask tech, uh, which I don't really like. Um, I just... I liked the name Captain Marvel. I didn't know why she was Captain Marvel. I liked the story we got last issue, but it didn't address... I felt like they, the way that they had Marvel had released the book, they timed it just after Captain Marvel was briefly resurrected through the AVX tie-ins of Secret Avengers, and yet there was no discussion of that. It wasn't even related to that, and I just thought, well... I thought that, you know, because Captain Marvel was coming back and then he was back to being dead, that maybe that was the reason why she would suddenly want to change her costume or have a name that reflects his legacy and, and honoring that. But there was none of that. 
Um, so I think part of my problem with the first issue was just what it didn't have and not what it had, which is the wrong way to judge an issue. And I apologize for that because I know that that's not really how, like you're supposed to review it based on its own merits and not what it's lacking. Uh, thankfully issue number two, really strong. It did remind me in some ways of the recent X-Men legacy, I believe that came out next last week, uh, where Rogue was suddenly nowhere near AVX and was just on an alternate world and just kind of got wrapped up in a war and started fighting. Uh, this kind of felt like that, but she, instead of being in an other world, she was in World War II uh, due to a time travel mishap. Um, I liked it, though. Uh, Carol was written fairly well. Uh, she's trying to... Uh, this this character that uh, they introduced, this um, kind of a mentor of hers, and she inherits this plane, and she tries to bring it up to uh, as far as as high up as her mentor had done it, but then no one had ever accepted her claim of, of this record that she'd done, so she go goes up in the plane, and then encounters interference, and she starts going down, and then she ends up in the past, and it's an interesting concept. I like how she approached the time travel. Uh, she was her internal monologue that that kind of gave her was very like you know what am i doing here what am i supposed to do what are the avengers protocols like it felt very natural for this is how someone would realistically respond if they were suddenly back in time didn't know why or how and there was no care no one they knew and no one, nothing they really recognized um you know they'd wonder like is there a rule are the rules as to pertaining as to how i'm supposed to comport myself in the situation what do i do now how what do i do next uh it felt very natural the artwork was a little bit better than the last issue uh i i kind of i mean the, the covers are really gorgeous and i kind of wish that the artwork was a closer representation of what we got in the cover uh it's a little darker murkier in the actual comic but you know overall uh still good read um characterization of carol's very strong i like the idea of the mentor so i really gravitated towards that storyline so deconic definitely is 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 writing a good book uh and this was a much i thought stronger issue than the first so i gave that an eight out of ten uh brings us to daredevil number 17 by mark wade and mark elred uh confession i'm not a huge mike elred fan uh when he uh, came on X-Force way back in the day and kind of revolutionized it and changed into the, the weird, crazy one with um, uh, Dupe and Yugo Girl and uh, all those characters. Not a huge fan. Uh, it just wasn't an uh, artistic style, I guess, that I was really in the mood for at the time. Um, I was a lot younger. My tastes were a little less refined in comics, so I was kind of like... I think if I read that comic now with my like kind of more modern sensibilities, I might appreciate it more. Uh, but I was looking forward to his work on this new issue of daredevil and uh it was a fantastic issue it was very uh very one of those kind of uh yanking on your heartstrings kind of issues um it was very much like a done in one but set within kind of what's happening with the dissolvement of the uh the partnership of uh franklin nelson and uh and matt murdoch uh but it was it, most of the story was a kind of a flashback to the early days back when uh foggy didn't know who uh, matt murdoch was as daredevil and it was re just after karen page had first left for hollywood uh and a really really touching story um and uh i'm surprised no one else had really done anything like this before where uh through you know a scientific breakthrough etc uh matt got to briefly regain his sight and uh he got to watch a videotape of his dad's final fight uh that he won that he was supposed to originally throw uh before he died and it was a really like you know kind of you know i used to kind of have to choke back and you're like that's that's really strong really emotional work 
um, you know, what, what would that be for that character who had lost his father to really experience that and get to see something that he'd never seen that his dad had, you know, basically thrown, accepted that he was going to die, but because so that he could have this, this strong role model for his son, he won a fight that his son would never see. And so this, this story enabled Matt Murdock to finally see that fight that was the turning point in his life. Um, sorry, I just hit the microphone there, uh, and it was absolutely incredible. So, a fantastic issue, it is a must-read, and I give that a 9 out of 10. Uh, brings us to Dark Avengers 179. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of people who really like this book, and I'm just, I wish I was one of them. Um, I like some of the, the issues with, you know, the whole time, time-tossed, uh, Thunderbolts team. Uh, I just kind of want the book to get to the point. I feel like it's a very long-term storyline that Jeff Parker's writing, and I appreciate that, but at the same time, I feel like it's been going on for so long uh, that it kind of needs to start getting to where it's going. Uh, the art in this issue is handled by uh, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and Kev Walker. Uh, I like the art. It's it's not bad. It's, it's kind of weird and, and kooky, uh, much like the book itself. Uh, I found... When it was focusing on the Thunderbolts, I liked it more than when it focused on the Dark Avengers. Uh, the Dark Avengers, I'm not really sold on them as a team, as a concept. Um, I just, I, I, it, they haven't, it hasn't really worked for me personally. Uh, whereas the Thunderbolts, being in a weird dystopian type future uh, and fighting against, you know, um, Luke Cage's off, uh, I guess his, uh, yeah, I guess his offspring, or I believe it was his grandson's clone or something. Anyways, it's a biological relative. Uh, it was an interesting and fun fight. Whereas in the modern, uh, in the modern time frame, we have Luke Cage and Scar fighting this villain that isn't that well written, and uh, it, it's kind of passive. You know, you can kind of pass through those issues and be like, eh. Uh, whereas the Thunderbolts issue is a lot more interesting because those characters have been doing this time travel storyline forever. It just it, so it's both good and bad because it just keeps going on. On the one hand, it's cool to see these characters interacting and and uh, evolving and kind of having to go through all these crazy uh, adventures together. But on the other hand, uh, it's just it just feels like I don't know when the storyline's going to end, and I feel like it needs to. Um, so I mean, so that's the good and the bad of that. Uh, I give that about a five out of ten. No, I'm in that maybe. It's almost a six. I just it's not quite there. Uh, next issue is, uh, DC Comics Presents number 12. Uh, I give this a 6 out of 10. It's not a bad issue. Uh, the main focus is on, uh, Bart Allen. Uh, as Kid Flash, which kind of takes the focus of the book for an issue. Um, I, I just wish... I'm, I'm, a, I'm having a problem with the New 52 in accepting certain characters acting the way they are. I just feel like I really liked where Bart had gotten to in the mainstream universe before it got changed after Flashpoint. And although I know this is a brand new universe, I'm finding it difficult to adjust to how he's portrayed here, which is very uh, immature, kind of rash, and but not in the lovable way that the old uh, that he was when he was either Impulse or Kid Flash before. Uh, the issue is kind of forgettable. Uh, it takes place kind of after a storyline in Teen Titans, which I have to admit I hadn't read. Uh, the art's not bad, actually. It's very crisp, very clean, very uh, very sleek, actually, which I thought worked well for the character of Kid Flash. It, was, it almost reminded me of uh, Mike McCone, um, but the artwork is actually done by uh, Jorge Jimenez, and the, the story itself is actually written by Fabian Nassiza, who So it makes sense why I actually like the way the story flowed, because I'm a big fan of... And she, I 
I really apologize. I think it's maybe in Nichezia. I'm not a good pronunciator of words, so I, or at least names like this, so I do apologize. But uh, good issue. Um, a little forgettable, um, but a nice done in one. If you like uh, Kid Flash, if, especially this version of Kid Flash, then you'll like it. Uh, I gave it about a 6 out of 10. Uh, next is Deadpool number 59. Absolutely loving this arc. It is so much fun. Um, I we know that this is obviously this run is obviously coming to an end soon. Uh, Daniel Way is almost done with this uh, with Deadpool, and he's going to be uh, replaced when Marvel now hits. But Daniel Way is just. He's really having a lot of fun. Uh, this is a great arc because Deadpool no longer has his healing factor, so he can actually die now. Black Box is uh, is after him. He just fought Black Swan. Black Tom's back, and he's trying to <laughs> he's trying to take him out. Uh, Salvin Espin does a fantastic job in the artwork. It's very expressive. I love his take on Deadpool's face because uh, Wade Wilson usually has the the hideously scarred face, but now he doesn't have that, and he just has his regular. You know, his regular face. And the facial expressions on him are absolutely hilarious. Um, Espen plays a little loose with how he actually uh, portrays Deadpool's face, which I think actually works really well because, like, instead of being more realistic, uh, he's more almost cartoonish. And given that it's Deadpool, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, This issue has... Uh, Deadpool trying to escape uh, from uh, Black. He, he was attacking attacked by Black Tom. He was able to escape that, and then he uh, took off in his in his car. Uh, but then he finds himself being pulled over for speeding. Uh, him being Deadpool, he obviously has to antagonize the local police, and then ends up admitting that he's got firearms in the vehicle. Uh, he ends up just wanting a burrito at a gas station. It's a Deadpool comic. Um, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and definitely worth reading. And the last page, especially, is is very like, it's just like, oh, Deadpool, you know, like, uh, Deadpool's kind of lot for a lot of people has kind of lost part of that as charm because there have been so many Deadpool books lately. But Way writes a good Deadpool, so it's a very enjoyable storyline, and it's nice seeing a different side to Deadpool if you can even imagine that because he can die, so he he isn't able to be his typical self. He has to play things a little differently. He's still freaking crazy. But uh, it, it, but they play it in a totally different way. So this is this is a really really fun issue. Uh, if you're a fan of Deadpool, you, you'll love it. It's great. It's uh, I gave that an eight out of ten. Uh, Deadpool pulls, kills the Marvel Universe number three. Also came out this week. Gave that a six point five. Um, just because it's not as good as regular Deadpool. Uh, actually, my favorite part of the issue is actually Taskmaster kind of on Deadpool's uh, trail trying to figure out what you know what the heck's going going on why he's going around killing everybody the actual killing itself um eh, you know it's it, it's it's okay it's not great um it, it feels like they maybe have to stop making so many of these in some ways um but uh Colin Bunn does a good job on the writing I like really like uh, Dalibor I guess Telagic uh, on art, because it, it's got a really great feel to it. I like the, the look of Deadpool, is it really works well, because he looks crazy, like, the, this frayed costume, like, he doesn't look as well put together as Espen made him look in the actual main Deadpool title. He just looks just totally out of it here. He, he looks messed up. Uh, this issue has him taking on the X-Men, uh, and I, I, what I really, really loved is that he's gotten Arcade to make all these crazy death traps to get the X-Men in, and I thought that was brilliant, a brilliant use of Arcade, so funny, um, but, I mean, but the issue isn't perfect, uh, just because 
it kind of feels like, why is this all happening? You know, I, I really like Taskmaster trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and uh, just because I always love Taskmaster and Deadpool interacting together. I like their, their weird relationship together uh, and how they're kind of friends sometimes and then they're enemies others. And they're basically frenemies uh, in comics. And that's pretty awesome. Uh, so as I said, 6.5 out of 10. Uh, Green Lantern number 12. Ah, <sighs> Green Lantern it can be a very frustrating book, and I find it looked great, um, uh, which is never really a surprise. Uh, I've, I like this issue a lot more than I was expecting it to. Um, I was kind of bored by the first, like I guess, ten issues. Uh, I just felt like it wasn't really going anywhere that I really cared. Um, bringing back Black Hand, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of, of seeing him come back again, but... The big twist in this one is that the Book of the Black is saying something very different this time around. And it's really frustrating, Black Hand, because suddenly he's reading the book and it says, Hal Jordan is not your enemy. And it's just like, what? Um, at least that's how. Um, so I actually have to apologize. It wasn't Monkey in this issue. Jeff Johns wrote it and Renato Geddes and Jim Calafiore were illustrating it. Um, the artwork isn't as polished as when um, Doug Monkey does it. Uh, the inking and the coloring weren't quite up to the same level of standards. Especially the coloring, actually. It was very kind of... Uh, it wasn't as vibrant a palette. Uh, when you're dealing with a Green Lantern book, you really want really vibrant greens or very deep blacks. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't really get that in this issue, which is surprising because Alex Sinclair, who co does the, uh, the colors, uh, usually has pretty vibrant stuff. But uh, overall, I mean, the issue's pretty good uh i gave it an 8 out of 10 so it's nice to see uh what it's kind of it's an interesting way of kind of looking at like how they do what is going on with the black lanterns and, and what could happen with the black lanterns and the book of the black and how is this all going to be coming up with you know everything that's going on in these books right now with the rise of the third army about to happen and uh the guardians about to turn on the green lantern corps um so, a very, very, uh, not a bad book at all, actually. It was pretty solid, um, and I, li I really do like watching Sinestro and Jordan be t uh, partners, and I do like the big twist here that Hal Jordan will be the greatest Black Lantern. Uh, I'm, on the one hand, it's kind of like, do we really need another prophecy or another, you know, ooh, this is going to happen, but, another t but on the other hand, it was really cool. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. I didn't really see that coming, per se, and uh, I'm interested to see how that kind of plays in, especially with everything that's coming up with the uh, the Guardians kind of turning on the Green Lanterns. What does it mean that he's going to be the greatest Black Lantern? Uh, so that's pretty cool. What I actually really like this this week uh, is that we got to have uh, Green Lantern Core number 12. Uh, fantastic. Uh, wow. Um, I was not expecting this issue to be anywhere near as good as it was. It was by Peter J. Tomasi, who is pretty solid, and Fernando Pissarin. Uh I had I've missed a couple issues of Green Lantern Corps because I was kind of the first arc kind of turned me off. It was kind of didn't feel like it was really doing anything new with the characters, but this one uh, I really like how they kind of ended this uh, the whole idea of the of the um, the Awful Lanterns in a very cool way. And you had like the the Manhunter monster machine and the alpha lanterns and the green lanterns and this big three-way battle uh really cool and uh some of it was predictable admittedly um with one of the alpha lanterns turning on the others but uh it really f was a meaningful uh kind of turning um there's a funeral scene at the end where they're kind of remarking about how he, you know he's he's now on in the in the crypt and 
the idea between John Stewart and uh, Guy Gardner kind of realizing that you know that there's there's a lot more people on that wall now than when they originally um, started, and just so many of their compatriots are now dead. Uh, but very 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 cool, very good art, uh, strong sense of storytelling. It was actually much stronger than, Gar- than the main Green Lantern title this week. Uh, just a hell of a lot of fun. Great thing to read. I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, it was quite a good book. Um, so I give that a 9 out of 10. Brings us to, uh, the new issue of New Mutants. Um, New Mutants, I, I, again, this is one I have to admit. So this is issue number 47. I, I haven't read the last few issues. I, I kind of fell out of touch with the book, but this was really, really good. It was, I like recap pages. They were, it was a quick and easy way to get into what's happening with these characters, uh, what happened. And this is an alternate reality story where everything's, everything's flipped. And, uh, the art in this issue, not nearly as good as the script, to be honest with you. Uh, I found the art to be really all over the place. Felix Ruiz, I don't think I've ever seen his stuff before, but I don't know if he's really the right... He kind of had a sinkwitzy kind of style without being as dark um, or as kind of evocative in terms of the storytelling. Um, but the actual story by Abner and Lanning, brilliant. Uh, they're in this... you know, They think that everything's gone back to normal, but everything's actually slightly flipped and slightly incorrect. And, of course, the person who kind of figures this out first is Doug Ramsey, uh, and I really like how he's trying to assimilate all the information in the world and figure out where everything is different or how, and this is basically everything that's, that could be different is in a lot of different ways. Uh, the schism didn't happen, uh, and et cetera. Uh, really, really solid storytelling. Again, the art, not so strong. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what comes up in the next, uh, next issue. Uh, I gave that one a seven out of 10, mainly on the strength of the, uh, the writing. I mean, the, the art, not the strongest, as I said. It's really scratchy. Uh, not always the the greatest for uh, depicting this kind of story, I, I felt. But it was kind of miscast. Uh, it might have been better on a different type of book. But still, still not bad. Uh, next is uh, the new issue of uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 12. Um, this is another book where I've fallen out of touch in the last few issues. So I was like, oh, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through this one. And uh, Wow. Uh, it's been a long time, I think, since I really read this regularly. I think I read the first couple issues, and I read the Night of the Owls crossover. Um, they're in space. Uh, it's an odd space to really have... A, like, the Redhead and the Outlaw is a very street level, except for Starfire, I guess. She's obviously uh, more suited to cosmic things. Uh, but very odd collection of characters, and then they're in space, and... Uh, I, I like the, this, ver- this universe's version of Blackfire so far, uh, Lubdell's writing it, he actually has a pretty good handle on it, and Timothy Green the second does the artwork, which, I mean, th- there are certain spots where I think, um, there's not a lot of panel usage, or it's very basic panels, or a lot of white space and kind of posing, but overall I thought the artwork was pretty strong, and, and having very distinct visuals for each character, um, and it gives you the visual cues you need to really understand what's going on in the story. Uh, the story itself is a little out there, but it's, it's, it's interesting, and, and I like that Red Hood's out there in space, and I'm wondering how he's going to get back to Earth in time for the, uh, death of the Death of the Family storyline that's coming up, because I believe his title's going to be crossing over at some point. Uh, next is Sensational Spider-Man 33.2. Do not know why that's an actual number for a comic. That's kind of ridiculous. Um... I understand the point ones, but 
5.2, really? Is that really necessary? I like that they're doing the 50th anniversary of Spider-Man, and we're having uh, they're bringing back all these the old titles that he used to headline for special new issues. Uh, this one's done by Defalco and Barberi. Um, the artwork's very smooth in this. I really liked it. The storyline, not a Spider-Man storyline. At the end of the day, it's more of a Carly Cooper focus. That being said, I love Carly Cooper, as I said earlier in the episode, so I was okay with that. Um, also focuses on the, the newer version of the Vulture, who I don't really care for, mainly because I don't think they've done much with him, uh, and I don't find him interesting. He's, he, he's, he's more, I guess, a real Vulture than the other Vulture is, the more traditional Adrian Toomes Vulture. That being said, I don't really care. Um, it was a good issue. I liked it. I liked the focus on Carly Cooper, and I, I like how... Uh, Spider-Man's kind of teaming up with her without her really knowing it half the time and she doesn't realize it's Peter Parker doing it obviously because this is before she found out uh, not a bad story I wondered why in some ways I wonder why they bothered telling it <laughs> Not it kind of felt like something that you would have in Avenging Spider-Man or something that's kind of it's in continuity but it's not in the exact up-to-date current continuity it's set a little bit beyond a little bit uh, behind um Considering it's his anniversary and not Carly Cooper's anniversary as a character, a little strange that we didn't get more focus on Peter. That being said, I like Carly Cooper a lot. I like the Falco. It was a good issue. Really solid art. I give it maybe 6.5 out of 10. It was, it was solid and enjoyable, but not something you need to pick up. Um, if you missed it, you wouldn't really know because it... This is and this is the problem that Avenging Spider-Man ran into as well. At the end of the day, if it doesn't take place in Amazing Spider-Man, a lot of people are like, well, did it really happen? Uh, or did it need to happen? Because that's the main continuity book, and kind of felt that way here. It did feel like, you know, this is an extraneous issue that's fun to read, but at the end of the day, it may not be all that necessary. I don't think we're going to be getting any callbacks to this issue. Uh, it could, but I doubt it's going to happen. And I, I thought that the... Uh, I think it was... Uh, spectacular Spider-Man something point one that they did a couple weeks ago, which was also part of this anniversary event, which was a lot m more about Peter um, and his connection to the Acme building uh, where he apprehended the burglar who killed his Uncle Ben. That was a lot more a focus on Peter and kind of bringing things full circle, whereas this is more, this is a Carly Cooper focus. It's not about Spider-Man. still good, but it's not, it's not really starring the character who's in the title. Uh, next is Supergirl number 12. Uh, I have to apologize. I guess for most of these DC books, it feels like I've read the first six or seven, six or seven, eight issues, and then I fall out of touch with a bunch of them. Uh, absolutely adored this issue. I did not know what to expect from Supergirl. Um, I really dug it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it had a nice guest appearance by uh, Superman at the beginning of the issue. Uh, has her looking for, uh, like her pod, and uh, it's really, really strong. Michael Green and Mike Johnson are the writers. Uh, Mahmoud Azrar is the penciler. Uh, I don't know any of these people, um, but I like what I saw here. I thought the artwork was actually pretty strong. It was. I like that they're making Supergirl still look like a girl. Um, she doesn't look overly sexed up or anything like that. And uh, it was a lot of the issue was just kind of her persevering and trying to get find out answers and 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 you know the, she's hearing this voice and she's just trying to go farther and farther and farther so uh very cool uh very simple story easy to jump onto i dug it it was a lot of fun um and i wasn't necessarily expecting it f from this book uh just because i don't know a lot about supergirl in the new 52 uh, but I gave that an 8 out of 10, and I liked her actually having a conversation with Kal-El and not just punching him in the face. That's what was nice. Uh, 
Next up is Uncanny X-Force number 29. Uh, extremely dark, very brooding, but brilliant book. Um, Rick Remender is really, really doing a great job here. The artwork is really crazy. It's by Julian Tatino Tedesco. Uh, the last few artists on this book uh, haven't been as clean as as well put together as the first few arcs of, of this book, but uh, especially the well, the the regrettable story in Otherworld, which I really didn't like, uh, which I think was important overall. But I found the artwork and the general sense of tone was really like, what are they doing? Uh, this book brilliant uh final execution is a really good storyline i really like they're in the future uh betsy's trying to kill herself uh and then the older betsy's trying to not let her um there's a really gorgeous scene with uh with angel here which it's unclear if it's her actually talking to angel or her just being psychically manipulated uh by the older betsy but Really, really good issue. I really like the themes that Remender's dealing with here, uh, themes of time travel, etc., uh, and wanting to, and what what could happen, seeing your future and wanting to change it, and how big of a threat uh, Psylocke is to the future uh, because of what she's seen and how she wants to end it. So, really, really strong, great book. Uh, Nine out of ten. Um, I always love this book. Um, Running out of time in the show, so I'll just kind of quickly breeze through the next few titles. Wonder Woman number twelve. Uh, okay, it was it was kind of there. Uh, we got a conclusion to the storyline. Baby's born. There's a very inconclusive, odd ending. I wasn't really sure what that was supposed to mean. Uh, five out of five. Sorry, five point five out of ten. <laughs> Not a five out of five. No. Uh, X Factor two forty two. I like what Peter David's doing. I like how the breaking point seems to be focusing on different characters in each chapter. Uh, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. Um, I did like how Wolfsbane really get, finally gets to see her son and how she interacts with him. also liked how... I'm not a big fan of how Darwin's back. I don't really know how that's working out or why, but eh. I was never a huge fan of how Darwin was portrayed in X Factor anyway. Um, I do like that Mr. Tripp's still enigmatic as always. I'm interested to see what really come ne- comes next. Uh, we also have X-Men 34. Don't really see a reason for this book to exist. The story was marginal at best. It really didn't give anything unique or interesting. I gave it a, I gave it a 5 out of 10 originally, but I'm actually now I'm thinking about it leaning more towards a 4 out of 10. So it, I, I just don't know why the book even exists. It doesn't have a strong sense of storytelling personality. Uh, the team is kind of eh. Uh, it's got like Domino, Pixie, Colossus, and Storm. Uh, I just It's not all that exciting, not all that memorable, and I just didn't find it all that necessary. So not a, not a big fan of that book. Uh, Nightwing number 12, great book, 8 out of 10. Fantastic artwork, really like the sense of storytelling, the pacing, uh, the action, uh, really, really f- fun. Uh, I mean, it was a serious book, but it was also really fun to read. I really liked Dick Grayson's adventures in the New 52. I've always liked Dick Grayson as a character, both as Robin as a Nightwing and as a Batman. Um, it's a great read. If you like Dick Grayson, pick it up. It's worth it. Um, other than that, I think the only other book, uh, I think that's all the books that, uh, I actually read this week that came out. Obviously, it was pretty, pretty, a pretty big week. Uh, we had some really big titles come out. More of my favorite books of the month, uh, sorry, of the week. Uh, definitely, I guess my top uh, few would be Amazing Spider-Man 691. Love that last page. 
Uh, Green Lantern Corps number uh, 12 really took me by surprise. Didn't expect it to be as strong as it was. Uncanny X-Force number 29, uh, consistently strong, but this issue in particular. And Daredevil 17, wow, really, really strong, emotional. It really got me. And also Avengers Academy number 35. I'm really sad this book is ending. I hope these characters stick around. I hope they're featured in something else important. I hope Christos Gage gets to play with them more. Uh, Just a fantastic book. So that's been our episode. So thank you for listening. Um, Our... Our new schedule is going to be that we're going to have uh, review episodes posted uh, hopefully every Friday from now on. So this should be going up on Friday, August 17th. Um, and so I will see you for the next solo show next fr- next Friday as we'll be talking about the books that came out on August 22nd. Uh, we should have another show with a guest host coming out uh, either Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, not really sure what the topic's going to be yet, but we'll play it by ear, and uh, hopefully you'll be sticking around to enjoy that. So, thanks for listening to Comic Shenanigans. Once again, I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Enjoy my next time for another shenanigan.